Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Church on the Trail. Thank you for being here. Thank you for tuning in. Maybe you've clicked on a link and, and you're, maybe you're watching this live or at some point. We appreciate you participating in our worship gathering today. We want to extend a special welcome to any uh, of our first-time guests or maybe it's one of your first times to be with us here for Worship at Church on the Trail. If that's the case, we want to make sure to get one of these in your hands. This is a welcome packet. It has information about our church. It'll kind of let you know who we are and what we're about. We like to say that, our, that we exist as a church to help people find their way back to God and to grow. And so we hope that you'll experience a little bit of that today. So if you're new to Church on the Trail and you've never received one of these, please raise your hand. Our, our man Lynn is here and he would like to hand one to you right there in front of you, Lynn. To uh, your left, my right, right over here. Thank you very much. And uh, so please let us know if you'd like one of these also on the back row there, Lynn. Thank you. Inside here, you'll find information about our church. You'll also find in the very back something we call our connection card. And if you would, don't mind taking a moment and filling out that card, letting us know you were here. We promise we're not going to hound you or sell your address to telemarketers or anything like that or your phone number or any of that information. But it would, uh, it, our pastor would like to send you a little note and thank you for coming. We appreciate you being here. If you're watching online and you're new to Church on the Trail online worship experience, you can go to churchonthetrail.org and click connect, and you can fill out one of our connection cards online. Thank you guys again for being here, for, for uh, joining us virtually. You guys ready to begin our worship experience today? It is going to be awesome. Please stand with us, and we're going to turn it over to our stellar worship team, and they are going to lead us in a handful of songs. Let's go for it.
But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Take me past the outer courts through the holy place past the brazen altar Lord I want to see your face pass me by the crowds of people and the priests who sing their praise I hunger and thirst for your righteousness but it's only found one place take me into the holy Holies, take me in by the blood of the Lamb. Take me into the holy holies. Take a cold, touch my lips. Here I am. Take me into the holy of holies. Take me in.
and glory to his name. Thank y'all so much. Thank you. Wow, y'all can be seated. I have a few announcements to share with y'all. Uh, first of all, we have a sold-out interest meeting this right after service today over on the kids' side. Um, it is awesome. My girls went to sold-out last summer, and it was amazing. Their hearts came back full. It was, it was really great. So I encourage y'all uh, to send your teens because it's a, it's a good time. Um, the second announcement I have for y'all is our women's and, uh, women's and men's ministry, the Grove and Trailblazers, uh, will be meeting April 21st at 7 p.m., uh, that's a new time change and a new date, so just want to let y'all know of that. And uh, the last and the best, uh, y'all know today is Palm Sunday, right? Today kind of commemorates when Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and they brought their branches, and they were crying, Hosanna, blessed those who come in the name of the Lord. Blessed to those who come in the name of the Lord. Um, well, I mixed up, mixed up the words there, but y'all y'all know. This is Holy Week, and uh, so we have a lot of stuff coming up this weekend that we want to share with y'all. So first of all, Friday is our Good Friday service here on the 15th. No. Yes, the 15th. Sorry. <laughs> Trying to remember all these dates. Um, at 6 p.m., we want y'all to come. It's a family-style service. We do have nursery for the, the babies, but we want it to be family-style. We want y'all to hear, we want the kids to hear the message of the sacrifice that Jesus made for them. Um, and then... Easter Sunday morning at 7 a.m., we have a sunrise time of prayer. We'd love for you to join us as we prepare our hearts for Easter Sunday service, which will be at 1030. And not only that, it is not here. So do not come here. It is going to be at 7201 Flat Rock Road, just around the corner. Don't come here. No one's going to be here. The church is going to be empty. So uh, we'd love for you to meet us out there. Invite your friends. We're having an egg hunt for the kids. So you can grab some people, tell them we're having an egg hunt for the kids. That's a good way to get people to come to church. Maybe not the best way, but anyway, we want them to hear the story of Jesus, and, um, and let's worship him together. So anyway, thank you all so much for being here this morning, and I'm going to pass it over to Norman. I am Norman, and uh, it's time to take an offering that we don't take, but uh, <laughs> we're going to go through the process. Two things I need to tell you. One is nothing happens without money. You got that? Try it. It don't work. So it, I have to have money to keep things going. No ministry without it. Second thing is, there's uh, five ways to give today. The kiosk is broke. And uh, so if we get enough money, we'll get the kiosk fixed, right? <laughs> so I add something to your giving this morning. Um, that's important. Um, that's all I got to tell you. Now, let's pray over the offering that we're going to receive this week and over the rest of the time of service today. Father, uh, you are so good to us, and uh, we ought to be so grateful um, for what we've just been led through uh, this time of worship and considering uh, just glory to your name. So, Father, we just thank you now for the gifts that we're going to receive this week that uh, does fuel ministry and will change lives. And then, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the proclamation of it and the response to it that's about to happen. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you. Let me grab that. Good morning, y'all. My name, that was cool. Um, my name is Ed Griffin-Hagen. I'm one of the pastors on our staff at Church on the Trail, and uh, I'm thankful that you're here. There's lots of places that you could be. Uh, before we get started this morning with the message, I want to invite Brooke Salmon up to the stage. Brooke Brooke has uh, been part of our church for a long time, and you'll see behind me, see how that happened so fast? That's Brooke's sweet family, and Brooke, you can, you can come on over, get in the light, walk out of the darkness into the light. Um, Brooke uh, has a sweet, beautiful family. Brooke wrote a, uh, a book, and just so you, that you know, after a week or two uh, on Amazon, it was the number one in its category, Christian um, children's book. And so, uh, so we're thankful, and Brooke is part of the leadership uh, of our, of our, clearly of our kids ministry. And I just wanted to bring her up, let y'all meet her. And I want to ask her just a couple of questions. One is what was the inspiration behind, behind writing the book? Yeah. So I wrote this um, book for my two boys, Jacob and Hudson. That's them up there. Um, they were diagnosed with a form of muscular dystrophy called Duchenne in, um, 2017. At the time they were five and one. Um, now Jacob is nine and Hudson is five and um, praise God they are defying all odds um, at the moment. Yes. <laughs> um, so we just couldn't be more thankful for all God has provided over the past four years and just all the prayers that he has answered. And um, so this was a way for me to share our story, uh, to just share a message of hope and also to raise awareness um, for the disease they are fighting, which is Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Can you tell us a little bit about it, about the book? Yeah, so um, simply put, the book is about um, overcoming disappointment and just trusting God through the storms in our lives. Because he's trustworthy, right? Amen. Amen. And, uh, and I'll tell you all two, um, two things. Number one, the 21st, the Grove Women's Gathering on the 21st, Brooke is going to be speaking at that gathering. And so if you are a woman, if you're a guy, you need to be in trailblazers. <laughs> but if you are female, then, then be in here because the, the ladies will meet in this room on the 21st at 7 o'clock. And then the last thing is we've got copies of the book out there. There's a little round table. There's copies of the book. We want Whoever wants to get a copy, get, get a copy. The, the books are $8.99, but you can have them for any donation, whatever that may be. It could be a dollar. Whatever it is, we just want you to have a copy of the book. Is there anything else? That's it. All right. Thank, thank you very you. much, Brooke. Hey, thank we love you and your family. Love you guys. So, y'all, we are um, we're in a series called From the Ashes, and uh, we have been walking through, again, the book of Acts for about for several months, and we stepped out of that five weeks ago to jump into a series leading us up through Easter, and it's called From the Ashes, and we... We're looking at different aspects of the Lord's life, different, different things about Christ's uh, life and, and how we can be encouraged by those things. And hopefully we're getting, we have gotten and we're going to continue this week and next week to get, kind of get a, a glimpse into the abundant life that he offers us. When we started this, uh, this series off, we started and we looked at uh, the temptation, Jesus' temptation in the desert in Matthew chapter 4. And then in week two, <coughs> excuse me, we saw his 
humility as he washed his disciples' feet. It's in John chapter 13. And then in week three, we talked about prayer. We talked about getting alone with God, getting in a quiet place and having just alone time with the Lord. And that was that, was that third week, and it was a, that was such a cool thought. And I hope on that, in that vein, I hope that you have found a way to get and have a little quiet time and a little alone time with the Lord in the last couple of weeks. And then last week, we talked about confession and the role that confession plays in our life. So I hope that we have been encouraged by the example laid out in Scripture of, uh, of the Lord's life. Today, I want to start off at least, I want to share with you a story from the trenches of World War II. It's a guy named John Robert Fox. He was born in Cincinnati, Ohio. In 1915, he was born. By all accounts, John Robert Fox was a really smart guy. He was a, a, a diligent young man. He earned a place in a, a spot in, at Wilberforce University. I think that's the name of it. And when he was there, he signed up for the Reserve Officer Training Corps, which meant that he not only finished college with a high-level degree, but he also finished college with a rank of second lieutenant. And when World War II broke out, he was commissioned and he joined the 92nd Infantry Division, which was a segregated uh, division for African-American soldiers, and they fought with really with high distinction throughout World War II. Fox and his unit were sent to, to the European Theater. 1944, he found himself fighting with his guys, uh, fighting the Germans in Italy. And it was in Italy where in December of 1944, uh, he was tasked to stay behind in a little village in Tuscany. Uh, the village, if I pronounce it right, is Sama Colonia. And that village had been overrun by the German uh, soldiers, by Nazis, and the Americans were in retreat. And Fox found a spot in a second floor of this house and uh, to, found a place to hide in. And from that spot, he called in artillery fire to be directed at the village uh, to give the U.S. Uh, his, the troops, the U.S. troops, the U.S. forces time to retreat and then to regroup and to launch a counterattack. And he specifically ordered a, a barrage of fire on his exact location. And the gunner who received that message thought it was probably a mistake because he was calling in fire on his own position. And, uh, and, and Fox, here's what he said to, to his gunner on the radio. He said, just fire it. There's more of them than there are of us. And so Fox's sacrifice was not in vain. Just like he planned, just like he called it in, the artillery uh, fire did indeed uh, give his comrades, give his brothers a chance to regroup and to launch a very successful counterattack. And when the, when the U.S. Army entered Sama Colonia in Tuscany, they found Fox's body and, a, and over 100 German uh, soldiers, dead German soldiers around him. The sacrifice y'all it's sacrifice and, and today we're that's what we're going to talk about we're going to talk about sacrifice you know Jenny talked about this is back 2,000 years ago this was the week before the cross and and I want us to talk about sacrifice I want us to talk about sacrifice in general kind of as a principle but I want us also I want to talk about the sacrifice that happened on that cross 2,000 years ago and 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 what happened you know what did that what, what did that provide for mankind? And we're going to dig into that today. 
fact, the name of the message today in, I guess, in Ed language is sacrifice ain't sacrifice if there ain't no sacrifice. That's the name of the message. It's true. That's a truism, is it not? Sacrifice ain't no sacrifice if there ain't no sacrifice. Well, John Robert Fox's sacrifice provided life. His sacrifice provided opportunity, and it provided, ultimately, it provided victory. Provided victory to his fellow soldiers in a pretty decisive battle with the Germans in World War II. Well, Jesus' sacrifice also provides abundant life, provides opportunity, and provides victory for all of those that believe. And his sacrifice was so completely sufficient that there is no need for any other work to ever be done. And y'all at the core of what we're talking about, and you've heard the term, I would imagine, and let me say this about today. Today's probably going to be a little more theological kind of than, than normal with some bigger sort of words. Um, but I want to explain those words, and they're critical, and they're important words and principles that we pull out of the life of Christ in Scripture. And you've heard this first word, and it is atonement. You've heard the, the, the phrase, the atoning sacrifice of Christ. And the simple definition of the word atonement is it is the process where two estranged parties are made at one with each other. That's atonement, at one man. Well, who is it that's estranged? Well, that would be us and God are estranged. We were alienated from him. We were separated from him. When sin entered the world in the garden so long ago, we were separated from the Lord. And atonement is necessary to right that relationship that was so wrecked in the garden. I believe that atonement is made up of, of three or four components. And they are sacrifice, redemption, propitiation, and reconciliation. And we're going to define kind of those terms. Sacrifice, redemption, propitiation, and reconciliation. Look, God is just. God is just. And God is holy. And for his justness and for his holiness to stay intact, sin has got to get paid for. It's going to get paid for. Don't forget that. If you only hear one thing, sin is going to get paid for. And I can't talk about, I really can't even have this conversation without, without looking, out, looking back at how this whole deal worked before the cross, before Jesus died on the cross. The, the, the Hebrew word for uh, for atonement, it conveys this idea of, of covering. And it's both in the sense of covering to, to hide and covering for someone. Like not charging someone with an, uh, with an offense, not charging and, and sentencing someone. Generally speaking, atonement for sin in the Old Testament was made by sacrificing an unblemished animal. Now, that sacrifice in the Old Testament, when, when an unblemished animal is, is killed, throat slit, it was a temporary covering. It was a temporary sort of satisfaction for that sin until they needed to do it all over again. Blood is spilling all over the altar constantly in the Old Testament because they had to do it over and over again. It was not a permanent thing. 
And y'all, that's a huge principle. It was not permanent. It was temporary. There were some sacrifices every day. There were some sacrifices every week. And then there were some major sacrifices once a year. Over and over and over, blood is spilling all over the altar in the temple to temporarily cover the sin of the people. Temporarily to cover the sin of the people. But Hebrews 9 says this. And Aaron read that to y'all during that song. Verse 11 of Hebrews 9 says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he's talking about the tabernacle. Verse 12 says, He entered, who's he? He, Jesus, entered once and for all into the holy places. We talked about the, the holy places. Well, the holy places... Were, were inner courts of the, of the temple complex. So it says he entered once and for all the holy places, ultimately the holy of holies, which was the middle, and we're going to talk about this, but it's the middle, uh, kind of right in the middle of the temple where God resided. So he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal Redemption, not a temporary redemption, an eternal redemption. Verse 13, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, if that happened, how much more, the writer of Hebrews says, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, he had to be without blemish because the animals had to be without blemish. The Old Testament sacrifices. So how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Verse 12 says his blood secures an eternal redemption, not a temporary redemption, an eternal redemption. I want to talk about redemption for a minute. Redemption is the release of something, people, animals, property, It's the release of something from bondage through the payment of a price. It's the purchase back of something. You get something, but there's a price that has to be paid. The Bible tells us that, that Jesus, as the sacrifice, served as the payment. When we say he paid for your sins, that's what we're talking about. It is redemption. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse he, he, he bought us back from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Redemption. It's this purchase back. He purchased your life. His blood was the payment, and he purchases your life. Now let's talk about this word propitiation. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says, He is the propitiation of... For our sins, that word's a noun. He is the propitiation. Romans 3, verse 23, starting in verse 23, says, For all have sinned and fall short. We've all heard this verse, y'all. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Jesus is the propitiation. Well, that word, nobody, raise your hand if you've used that word in the last 10 years. 
Like nobody uses the word propitiate. You have not. (laughs) Gonna be lying up here in church. Propitiation, right? That word has been equated, and it really, you could almost say a better translation of the word is mercy seat. It's It's been equated with the mercy seat in the Old Testament. You see that? Y'all know what that whole thing is? That's the Ark of the Covenant. You know what's inside the Ark of the Covenant? Y'all, the Ten Commandments was on last night. Charlton Heston's holding up the tablets, right? Well, that's the Ark of the Covenant. And, and it looks big, but it's two and a half cubits long. It's 45 inches. You know, it ain't but about that big. And it's about 23 inches tall. So this is a small, it was a small thing. But the mercy seat is the cover. It's the top. And that mercy seat is made out of pure gold. And that, that ark was in the Holy of Holies, in the holiest place in the temple, in, the, in a place where, where the high priest could only go in the Holy of Holies one day a year. That was on the Day of Atonement. And they tied a rope around his ankle so if he croaked while he was in the... That was not a good... If he died while he was in the Holy of Holies, they could drag his dead body out because nobody else could go in the Holy of Holies. The, it, it, the mercy seat, it represented God's throne on earth. God resided in the Holy of Holies. Scripture tells us it's like he hovered over the mercy seat. His presence was there. And the Lord commanded Moses in Leviticus 16 to send Aaron, his brother, to send Aaron before the, into the Holy of, to send him in the Holy of Holies, to send him before the ark, before the, the, the mercy seat to sprinkle the blood of sacrifices there, but only on the day of atonement. He couldn't go in there anytime he wanted, only on the day of atonement. And blood would be sprinkled on the mercy seat. When the children of Israel fell short by breaking the commands of the Lord, the blood of the sacrifice was sprinkled that one day of the year on the mercy seat to make atonement for their sin. Y'all, in 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 really in the simplest terms, sin is cleansed and God's wrath is satisfied at the mercy seat because sin's got to get paid for. It's got to get paid for. If God is to remain just, sin's got to be paid for. And you can choose to pay for it yourself. I think you can. Probably an ignorant choice, but you can choose to pay for it yourself. So atonement, sin is cleansed and God's wrath is justified at the mercy seat. And Jesus is the mercy seat. Jesus is the propitiation. The last component of atonement, I believe, is reconciliation. It's another word. I said it a minute ago. But again, what happened in the garden? Fellowship with God was wrecked when Adam and Eve fell in the garden. There's a book I read one time. The name of the book is Christ Crucified. A guy named Don McLeod wrote it. Great quote from this book. He said that the human race can never go back to the womb. He said, innocence once lost is lost forever. He says, and there can be no cheap grace. Y'all don't cheapen grace. He said, there can be no cheap grace. And he's looking back to the garden and he says, though at that point, Adam and Eve could never have imagined what cost 
what the cost of their sin would ultimately be. Man harmed the relationship, and man can do nothing to right the relationship. We got to know our right place. We jacked up the relationship with God in the garden, and we can do nothing to make it right. Y'all, it's a humble thought to think I have wronged and there's nothing I can do to make it right. Praise the Lord, though, since the very beginning, it has been his plan to bring peace back into that relationship. He reconciles us to him. We don't reconcile ourselves to him. He reconciles us to him. He's the one that fixes broken, the broken relationship. Y'all, he could fix, he's the great fixer. He'll fix a broken relationship between a husband and a wife. He can fix a broken relationship between a father and a son or a daughter and a mama. He fixes stuff that's broken. How many times have you, and it may have been you, or maybe a friend or a family member whose marriage was wrecked, but God, God fixed it. God repaired it. That's what he does. And so he reconciles the relationship, our relationship with him that was so damaged in the garden. Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Through his son, he reconciles us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. You see what that says? Not counting your sin against you. When you're reconciled with him, when your relationship with him is made right, your sin does not count against you. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. He made Christ to be sin, and Christ knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He did that so that we may become the righteousness of God. Y'all, it's for our sake that he died. It's not for his sake. He didn't have to do that. It's for our sake. It's done out of his unfailing love. And his unfailing love manifests on the cross. His unfailing love manifests on the cross, brings us back into a right relationship with God. It's all done out of love. Amazing. We just sang about amazing love. It was all done out of that amazing love. And this relationship of peace with mankind, it gets established, which was up until that moment, it was blocked. And it was blocked by the demands of the righteousness of God. It was blocked by the, by, the, by the demands of his justice because, again, sin has got to get paid for. Somehow or the other. So being reconciled to God means that he's laid aside or he's withdrawn his wrath that we deserve. We deserve it. We deserve to get thumped off the planet. 
But when we're reconciled with him, he lays that, that punishment, that penalty on the side. Praise the Lord for that. So, y'all, there's about an 18-minute introduction. But that's some groundwork for, for this. I want us to talk about sacrifice. Because you remember sacrifice ain't sacrifice if there ain't no sacrifice. Look at Philippians chapter 2. And we touched on this last week. Starting in verse 7. Talking about Jesus. Verse 7, emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He willingly gave up himself. He willingly went to the cross. He, he willingly poured himself out. He came as the man. He didn't give up, though, his godness. He didn't give up his deity. He just simply came as a man. He was 100% God and 100% man. And I know that's hard to get your arms around. Like, I get it. But he didn't give up. Don't ever go down this heretical road of thinking that, that he, when he was a man, no, no, he was 100% God and he was 100% man. He came, in fact, as a servant, Scripture tells us. So what appeared on earth was not a prince in a palace. It was not a king in a kingdom. It was not some wealthy and scholarly teacher. He wasn't, he didn't come that way. His former's nature on earth was best wrapped up in the position of, uh, uh, of, of one whose entire life was devoted to serving, and that is as a slave. That's what that word means in Scripture. He came as a slave. He didn't look any different than anybody else. He definitely didn't look like a god. Isaiah predicted, predicted it in, in Isaiah 53. Isaiah wrote, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. It says he had no beauty that we should desire him. Y'all, he didn't have great wealth. He didn't have great breeding. He didn't have great privilege. He didn't have great position. He was just a poor old carpenter living in a dusty town in the Roman-occupied territory around the Sea of Galilee. Y'all, he got tired. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He got glad. He got mad. He got angry. His feelings got hurt. And he's probably thinking, and I left heaven for all of this? That's just probably what he's thinking. Now, his godness was probably masked a little bit in his manness. His divinity and his glory were probably obscured a little bit by his humanity and his mortality. While he walked as a human on the earth, he never, ever ceased to be God. He never stopped being God. When Jesus took on the, a human body as a, as a man, he then humbled himself to accomplish the task at hand. Well, what's the task at hand? It was to die for sinful humanity in order that sinful humanity can have eternal life. Y'all, every one of us is going to die. Physical death, every one of us. But Jesus, as, as the divine son, he accepted that physical death in obedience to the Father's will. That doesn't mean, Scripture doesn't mean that he was obedient to death as if death somehow had 
power over him or control over him. That is not what Scripture is saying. No, it's not. Jesus simply obeyed the will of the Father all the way to the point of death and the worst possible torture and death imaginable, and that is crucifixion on a cross. Y'all, his life as a man was not like some Hollywood script that he just passively followed. It was a life that he chose freely to have. Look, he's got a chooser. We talk about that all the time, that you and I have choosers. We choose to do this. We choose to do that. He chose willingly to turn and go to the cross. John chapter 10, he's talking about, Jesus is, he's talking about his life, he's talking about sacrifice, he's really talking about his physical death. And he says this in verse 18 of John 10. He says, nobody takes it from me. Nobody takes it from me. He said, but I lay it down on my own accord. Nobody's going to snatch the life out of Jesus. He does it on his own. Scripture says on his own accord. Because for him, it was this continuous process of, of, of making the will of God the Father his own. He chose to obey, even though he knew that that obedience was going to ultimately result in this, this horrific scourging and beating for hours and this horrible, any movie that you would ever see, The Passion of the Christ. How many of you have seen The Passion of the Christ? Is painful as that was to watch, it pales in, com in comparison to the way it really was. Those Roman soldiers that worked the detail, the crucifixion and the scourging detail, they were good at what they, what they did. And they beat him and whipped him up to just the point of death. Kept him alive but beaten beyond imagination Kept him alive so they could get him on the cross. And he did that willingly, right? Don't you know he could have done that and stopped it? But he did it willingly. So this is like at the, at the, at the perfect time, Scripture would say, at like the fullness of time, God decided to deal with sin and its ultimate consequence, which is death and eternal separation from him. So instead of sending all of humanity into eternal punishment, God took the punishment himself. He took the punishment himself. Romans chapter, chapter 8. I call it the greatest chapter in the Bible all the time. Romans 8 verse 3 says, for, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh couldn't do. So the law can't save you. The all the acting good that you could ever do in your life, it cannot save you. All the keeping of the law, all 613 commandments in the, in the Old Testament, keep them all, it can't save you. Paul says, for God has done what the law can't do. Why can't the law do it? Because it's weakened by your flesh. He says, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. Verse 4 says, well, why did he do that? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Again, sin has got to get punished. But he took the hit himself. He took the hit. God took the hit. Jesus spilled his blood. He gave his life. 
for our sins so we wouldn't have to experience the spiritual death and the eternal separation from God. His sacrifice doesn't just make us ceremonially clean. It transforms our lives and it transforms our, our hearts and it cleans us from the inside out. Now all people, all people are offered the opportunity to accept that sacrifice that was made on their behalf. We can accept that sacrifice that was made on our behalf. How amazing is it that God would lay aside his glory, lay aside his power to face humiliation and torture and pain and agony to take a punishment that he don't deserve, to take a punishment that you and I deserve. Y'all, he knew that in order to rescue us, what is he rescuing us from? From the curse of sin. And he knew to rescue us from the curse of sin that it was going to cost him his life. It cost him his life. It's the ultimate sacrifice. But, but you know, most all the time, there, there's a cost. Sacrifice isn't sacrifice if what's given up is meaningless or worthless. When you tell me you sacrifice something that you don't really care about anyway, that ain't no sacrifice. I'm giving up liver and onions. Oh. Okay. Like, okay. I ain't going to eat no liver and onions. That's not sacrifice. So, but there's always a cost. That's what I mean when I say that sacrifice ain't sacrifice if there ain't no sacrifice. For me and you, look, there is always a cost. It's one of your little fill-in-the-blanks. There is a cost. For me and you, if we're going to follow him, if we're going to call ourselves a disciple, if we're going to name the name of Christ, there's just probably going to be a cost. You're going to experience some kind of sacrifice, but the return is unbelievable. The sacrifice is so, it is so worth it. I go from torment eternally to live in eternally in the arms of the creator of the universe. So yeah, a cost, but the benefit is unbelievable. Luke chapter 14, he, uh, Jesus, he, Luke writes and then, and then Jesus says, verse 25 says, Now great crowds accompanied him, him, Jesus. And he turned and said to them, If anybody comes to me and doesn't hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciples, first time he says that. Verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciples, second time he said it. He says, for which of you do you want to build a building, you want to build a tower? How many of you don't sit down and figure out the cost, whether you got enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this dude started to build and can't finish it. Verse 31 says, or or what king going out to encounter another king in war is not going to sit down first and deliberate whether he can do with 10,000 soldiers when somebody comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation to, to, to try to make peace with him. Verse 33 says, so therefore, because of all that I just said, he says, so therefore, any one of you does not renounce all that he has third time cannot be my disciple. Y'all, it's a difficult passage. His challenge, taking its face value, is to give up family if necessary, to give up plans if necessary, 
Give up position, if necessary, for the sake of Christ. The principle here is that if it comes right down to it, you got to be willing to let it, to sacrifice everything to follow him. I remember reading this, and I'm like, okay, like I get that, but I'm not, that word hate bothers me. I'm supposed to hate my family. Well, you got to understand the context, y'all. That word hate is hyperbole, hyperbole, H-Y-P-E-R-B-L-E. <laughs> hyperbole is an, is an exa- it's a literary device that is, it's an exaggeration to make a point. And the point is this, he's telling the disciples that your love for Jesus should be so complete and so wholehearted and so overwhelming that your love for your family members is going to look like hate compared to that. In first century Jewish settings, deciding for Jesus could mean alienation from the family. It did for me for years. Lost my family for years. You know, uh, for the sake of Christ. And it was hard, and it was painful, and it was a long road. But these are Jesus' words. you got to make a choice. you got to make a choice. But then I think about it, and I've got kids that are saved. Two of my brother's kids are saved, and my dad on his deathbed is saved. Well, y'all, I mean, why else are we here? Why else are we here? But Jesus warns them, and he warns his would-be disciples that we got to be clear about where our allegiance lies. And his point was that whoever wants to be a follower is probably going to have some kind of demands placed on them. And it may not be easy, and sometimes a relationship may have to get severed. Hopefully the severing of that relationship is a temporary severing of that relationship. Sometimes his followers would would have to turn away from this or to turn away from them to, to, to follow him. And he's saying people that can't commit to making that kind of a commitment, bottom line, in verse 26, 7, and th- verse 33, he says, you can't be my disciple. So, yeah, there's just probably a cost. But here's some encouragement. And I hope I've given you a little encouragement anyway. But I want to encourage you to you throw off the past sin You throw off the past shame. You throw off the past guilt because God will not, he doesn't have for you guilt and shame. He doesn't. So you throw that off because that that ties you in a knot. And he says, run the race that's in front of you. Look into Jesus, the author and the finisher of the faith. Look to Jesus who, for the joy set before him, he did, what did he do? He endured the cross. He sacrificed his life for the joy that was set in front of him. Let me say this. We're talking about sacrifice. There is this real, abiding, deep joy in serving others and sacrificing for somebody else. You think about the last time that you served in maybe in some big way. Maybe you sacrificed a bunch of time. Maybe, I mean, we had people out at the, on our church property yesterday, about 20 people, and they were out there for about four or five hours working hard on the property out there. We had a team of people from different churches 
down at our homeless ministry building on 6th Avenue serving the kids in that neighborhood with an Easter egg hunt and, and, and giving away, I don't know, probably five or 10,000 pounds worth of clothes to the people in the neighborhood. They're getting up on, folks got up on their Saturday morning and served, uh, selflessly served other people. It's just there's something about the way it makes you feel. I think God has wired us up for that. There's this deep joy when you sacrifice something for the sake of somebody else. I don't understand how that works. I just know God puts that inside of us. I, I, I don't really necessarily understand it. So maybe it's a sacrifice of time or energy or brain space or financial resources to be a blessing for somebody else. And if you think about the last time you did that, I bet it felt amazing. It's a joy that you don't always feel. It's a fullness that's just probably not always there. When we trade our self-centeredness or we, or we trade our selfish desires and wants for a life of discipleship and serving other people, the sacrifices when we do that, the sacrifices that we make have meaning and they have purpose and they have names and they have faces and your sacrifice can affect somebody else's eternity. Y'all, sacrifice is powerful. That story from World War II with John Robert Fox. It can change the outcome of a battle. It can change the outcome of a war. It can, it can lead to someone's eternity changing. Y'all realize when somebody gets saved, their eternity changes. And very often... The family behind them, their eternities change because you serve somebody, because you sacrificed a Saturday morning. Like the feeling that the Lord gives you for that is it's it's mind blowing. It can change a person in needs life. It can change their life when you sacrifice for them. It models salvation to a lost world next Sunday is resurrection day right and that's a day where we celebrate the fact the historical fact that the dead guy ran out of the grave alive okay when in the grave dead comes out of the grave alive we celebrate we should celebrate that every day we've made it into 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 Easter into an Easter celebration. And that, you know, there were many contemporaries of, of Christ, many well-educated and faithful people who did not recognize that he was, in fact, the Messiah. For them, the sacrifice, they're not denying that, that there was a death on that cross, but for them, that sacrifice was nothing more than the loss of some old poor carpenter's life. But for those that believe, it's the promise of eternal life. That sacrifice that he made, that atoning sacrifice, he, as the mercy seat, took the hit for all of us. Y'all, there's a man who's out with his wife, gets caught in a terrible, horrific hailstorm, massive hailstorm, hail's big as a baseball coming down. Under that deluge, and they can't get really get away from it. That man realizes that, that if he doesn't do something, his wife is going to get legit, legit hurt, severely hurt. 
So he kind of quickly drapes his body sort of around and over his wife. He covers her with his own body. So instead of the storm hitting his wife, the storm hits him. Instead of the hailstones hitting his wife, the hailstones hit him. And they seem to get bigger and bigger as he bent over and around his wife, protecting her. And so these large hailstone, hail ball things are coming down and, 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 and they're hitting him. They're pummeling him, in fact. Ripped one of his ears almost off. Cuts all over his head, cuts all over his arms, shoulders. He's cut up and beat up and bruised and bleeding. The man tries to lead his wife to, to safety, but the stones are coming down faster and harder, and he really can't get away from it. Matter of fact, the, the stones took a, a seriously took a toll on him, knocked him unconscious, passed out, collapsed, but when he collapsed, he collapsed around on his wife, and they fall down to the ground, and, after this, and he's unconscious. But he shielded her from the danger, even while he was unconscious. But after this storm is over and he, he gets his conscious, he, he, he regains his consciousness, he's left with scars and cuts and bruises and all this stuff. And he's got uh, healed scars on his arms, on his shoulder. They had to sew his ear back. There's a scar on his ear. He's got cuts and stuff all over his head that would forever be reminders of him of the, of the day that he kind of protected his wife. And that's a true story. It's a true story. And on the local newscast where that happened, the man's wife is asked by the interviewer. They, they asked her about how she felt about that experience. And she said, every time I look at the scar on his head, on his neck, and on his ear, I love him more. Every time I see the scar, I love him more because he sacrificed himself for me. Y'all, it's a true story. And when you and I get to heaven... Jesus is going to be the only one in heaven that's got scars. Have a scar on his wrist, have a scar on his feet, have a little scar, a little hole on his side. Through that, he'll really be this eternal reminder of the, that the only reason that you are there is because he stood in the gap. He stood in the gap between the wrath of God and the judgment that was heading your way. He covered you. He, but he covered you not like the bulls and the goats that were temporary in the Holy of Holies in the temple complex. No, he covered, he covered you permanently. He, he, you're wrapped in this, this white robe of righteousness that covers up your sin permanently he covers you with his love and he doesn't allow any hail to damage you he was disfigured for me and you y'all that is the love and the sacrifice of Christ that's what happened on the cross we see a sweet little crucifix you know with a guy with a crown of thorns just barely sitting on his head and it's we look at it and we say, isn't that pretty? But the reality is it was a horrific death that he willingly took. And that crown of thorns, y'all, was not gently placed on his head. It was hammered into his skull. And he's beaten beyond imagination. But all of that is out of this unfailing love. So I'm going to ask you, how, 
will that fact of the sacrifice, how's it going to change your walk in the next week? You know, what are things, maybe some things that, that you need to change, things that you may need to give up, things you may need to sacrifice so that you can maybe give more of your life, more of your resources, more of your brain space, more of your energy to something else or someone else so somebody may come to know him. What are the what are all of us probably have areas in our lives where we're called to to maybe bring some more sacrifice to the table. I don't know. I want you to think about two or three things today. And this is if you're a Christ follower or if you're not a Christ follower. For God's justness to remain intact, sin has got to be paid for. If you believe in God and you describe who He is, one of His attributes is justness. And for that to remain intact, sin's got to be paid for. And I'm going to say this again. You don't have to choose to let Him pay for it. You don't. There's a consequence to choosing not to let him pay for it, and there's a result if you do. I'm not pinning your arm behind your back. I'm trying to lead you into the truth of Scripture. So the sin's getting paid for, and you can choose to do it yourself or allow and believe and accept that, that he did that. And an animal's blood doesn't do it. A goat, a bull, or whatever doesn't do it. And being trying to be mo' better doesn't do it. Because you can't be mo' better enough to do it, right? So the animal's blood doesn't do it. But Jesus' blood that was spilled on the cross does do it. He became the mercy seat. Y'all, there's mercy and grace and love that crashed together at the mercy seat. So y'all pray with me. Lord, my prayer is that anybody that doesn't know you today, Lord, that they would come to know you. Lord, at least that they would consider the offer that you make. Sorry. That they would consider the offer that you make. Lord, that they would not let their, their, their head hit the pillow tonight that they would not go to sleep tonight without at least considering the offer. Lord, we don't ask people to check their brains at the door. We don't, we don't ask people to have blind, ignorant faith. Lord, we ask people to have rational and logical faith. The truth claims that your scripture makes. Lord, so my prayer is that people wouldn't go to sleep tonight without considering the fact that the sin's got to be paid for, the fact that, it, that, that they, we deserve the punishment, but that your death on that cross made atonement for us, that you stood in the gap for us. And Lord, that they would believe in that as a fact, that they would confess that as a fact. And that you walked out of the grave alive three days later to provide that eternal life. And so, Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.